0: Hello and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Before
1: I introduce Diana, I want to thank Media Super, who are the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. Media Super has supported the foundation since our beginning in the early 2000s. They are your industry super fund and they can help you with your superannuation. Contact me for further information and I can put you in contact with the relevant people. The format for today is I am going to introduce Diana and then I'm going to hand it over to her. Um, We have questions that you, some of you very kindly sent in. Diana is going to talk to those questions, so that'll take a certain amount of time and then we'll hand over for any um, questions afterwards. So Diana, thank you. Hi. Welcome from Perth. Hello, thank you you
0: for having me. It's very, very exciting to be here. Hi everyone, hope you're all doing well. So thank you for the introduction, Alex. I am a voiceover artist and an actor. I've been doing both of those things for 20 plus years now. I've been based in Perth pretty much the entire time. I've had a little bit of time in Sydney. I'm actually a Melbourne girl originally but I've lived in Perth for much, much longer now than I lived in Victoria but I still consider myself to be Victorian. It just doesn't really go away, you know. So um, I have seen the industry change extraordinarily over the last 20 years it just has shifted so so much and the last 5 years it's changed extraordinarily and then just in the last like few months there's been some epic shifts mostly because of the whole you know covid situation and our our requirement to work from home so there's a bunch of things i want to talk about today you guys have sent in questions and there's lots of them so i'm just quickly going to go through like let you know what the questions are that have come in Sorry about that. That was just a notification coming in. That might happen every now and again. Um, I'm going to go through the questions that have been sent in. I've grouped them together into categories so that I'm not answering the same question, you know, over and over and over again. Um, so I'm going to go through those questions with you now so that you know what we're going to cover, and then you guys can ask any additional questions that you have in the chat. Okay? So I've got them. Yeah, I've got notes. So... Here are the question categories that we're going to be talking about. So, how to get started, all right? Um, is there anything essential or in particular that you, I need to know or you need to know when you're branching into VO? Um, what's the difference between screen or stage acting and voice acting? Um, home setup stuff. What do I need to know? How can I compete with studios from home? Or how can I? Um, Compare with studios from home and can I just call stuff in from home now that I've got a home studio? Uh, what kind of equipment do I need? Hardware and software? Can I record on a phone or a tablet? That kind of thing? Um, agents do I need one? How do I get one? Do I need credits to get one? Freelance? How do I get freelance work? How do I get clients and grow my business? How do I get known? You know, um, studio work? How do I get it? Do I need an agent to get it? Uh, resources what, what's available? Uh, craft tips, what to practice, in-studio techniques, taking direction. I'm going to save that one till last because um, I'd like to give you guys information first about you know, the processes and stuff involved and then if we have time, we'll get on some of those craft kind of questions. Um, what kind of range of work is available and is age an impediment to working in voiceover? Uh, demo reels, do I need one? Do I have to have it produced remotely, etc., etc., etc.? Vocal health, how do I keep my voice in good shape when I'm doing long recording sessions? Fees, what to charge? What's the deal with residuals? That kind of thing. International work availability, changes since COVID-19, and pay-to-play sites like Voices123 and all of those kinds of things. Um, there's a few questions about those. All right, so th- there's a lot of stuff there <laughs> and I'm going to do my absolute best to get through as much of it as possible, but I am going to need to be fairly concise while I'm answering these questions. So feel free to add questions as we go and um, I've got Alex and uh, the girls at Equity managing that kind of stuff and they'll send them through to me. All right, so is everyone ready? Yeah, excellent. I got some thumbs up. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Brendan. <laughs> All right. So how to get started. The first thing that you need to do is understand that you will likely need some form of training or study. And that can absolutely be self led You know, if you want to coach, then that's fantastic. Find somebody who can help you train. um, And it can be useful. It can really shortcut stuff. You know, it's just like anything else. Um, If you're educating yourself, it's a really, really good idea to find somebody who's doing what you want to do. And... Um, is in the space and knows it well because they'll help you find some shortcuts to getting where you want to go. But there are some things that you absolutely have to have a handle on before you even decide to step in, into the voiceover space. And you definitely need to get a handle on this stuff before you produce a demo or start approaching people's work, right? And that is you have to know how to read aloud well and convincingly in a really natural kind of way. And that sounds like it should be easy, right? Like we all talk all of the time, we're all speaking all of the time and we're working with scripts all of the time because we're actors, right? But this is entirely different. So the this also speaks to the difference between stage and screen acting and voiceover, right? So when you get a script as an actor, there's two things that happen. One is that you have time to study it and work out the subtleties and the intricacies and the, the like, arcs and the way the emotion shifts and that kind of stuff throughout the script, okay? Uh, with voiceover, you very, very rarely get that luxury, right? Most of the time you're handed a piece of copy. If, if you're in studio, you know, outside of these self-isolation circumstances, if you're going into a studio, they'll hand you the copy when you walk in the door very, very, more often than not. I, I probably count on one hand the number of times I've gotten copy early. So... You, you don't have the luxury of poring over your script and analyzing it really closely. You have to be able to do that really, really fast. And you can practice that, you know, by finding copy online or transcribing commercials or any of that kind of thing. So you need to develop the ability to pick up a piece of copy and work it out really, really fast, okay? The other thing is acting scripts are written to be spoken. The dialogue and their thought processes. And the grammar and punctuation and structure of a acting script shows you where the emotional shifts are and where the thought changes are and and what the character's thinking and feeling and all that kind of stuff. And it gives you heaps of information about the story. But advertising copy, and that's primarily what we're gonna be talking about today, commercial advertising stuff. Advertising copy is not necessarily written to be spoken. If you have a really good copywriter, who's really experienced and been doing this for a long time um, and has worked with lots of voiceover artists and in the space a lot, then they may write the copy in a way that suits being spoken. But more often than not, it's written as written language, not spoken language. So you need to develop an ability to translate that written word into spoken word. And you have to be able to do it in a way that's natural and convincing and like it's your idea not something that you're reading off a piece of paper. So that, that's, those are the basic things that you need to get a handle on before you even decide that you're going to step into the space, right? Um, I would say that that's a particularly essential and specific thing that you need to know before you move in there. And then the other thing that you really should um, get a handle on before you decide if you're going to step into it or not is where do I fit in the market, you know? What does, my, what does my voice and me as a performer suit? And you can start working that out by listening to advertising and consuming advertising and really considering what appeals to me because that's a really good place to start. The whole point of voiceover in advertising is to influence people and it's much easier to influence people if you are, connected to the thing that you're delivering. So it's a good idea to start in a space that you feel comfortable with. You know, not everybody can jump straight into high-energy retail (laughs) and do it effectively and efficiently, you know. It may be that you want to start with something that is a bit more of a soft sell, like a a branding exercise, you know, instead of like a hard sell, buy my stuff kind of exercise. So investigate the market, have a think about what appeals to you, and then have a play. Start like reading ads to yourself. Um, see what suits you, what feels comfortable, what is in your zone, you know? Um, if you try to step into a space that's uncomfortable for you straight off the bat, um, that discomfort will come through in your read. So um, yeah, look for stuff that you feel safe and comfortable doing and you'll be much more relatable right from the get-go. So. Let me know if you've got any more questions about that particular thing, but I'm going to move on to the next thing now. Uh, Difference between screen stage acting and voice acting. I think I kind of covered that, but if you have any other questions, please do ask. Voice acting is different to commercial voiceover application. So that was my phone falling over, sorry. I um, would consider voice acting to be... um, Things like animations and uh, character work and that kind of thing, and you will come across some of some of that in commercial voiceover because sometimes there's ads and copy that require a character. It's not always just uh, you know I'm talking about this product and or I'm talking about this brand in a way that the audience relates to. Sometimes there's character stuff in there, so you know actual acting, voice acting, comes into it there. Um, You will bring your acting skills into any commercial read that you do. Um, And in fact, I find that I use my facial expressions and my gestures and my body language all the time when I'm reading commercial copy. It really informs your delivery and it helps you relate to your audience. So, for instance, yesterday I did an audition from home, and I needed to be quite ocker and Australian, but not like this, not too ocker, you know, but there needed to be a softening of my articulation and there needed to be a a really relaxed, comfortable kind of uh, cadence to the way that I spoke. And so I slouched a little bit and I, like, stood with one hip down and I softened my mouth quite a lot rather than it being articulated and clear softened everything and relaxed and loosened it all up and used my expression to inform how my voice came out. Uh, it's really, really, really useful. If if you a lot of people step in front of a microphone, they get really stiff, like really tight. And the first thing that gets affected by that is your voice. As soon as you're nervous, you guys would know. As soon as you're nervous, your voice goes like this, right? It gets all tight and weird and there. So, um, you want to use your body and use your voice, uh, use your face, use your body, use your gestures and that kind of stuff and it will help you relax and it will also help you get into a space where you're embodying the character who is reading and you're also forming that connection with the audience. Um, other differences between voiceover and, and stage acting? Oh, intimacy levels. Like so, so, so different. So when you're dealing with a microphone, you're practically speaking into someone's ear, you know, like that's what you're doing. You're coming up close and personal and you're telling someone direct into their ear what it is they want, they need to hear, you know, um, you don't have that same level of intimacy in. Definitely not on stage, you know, on stage throwing your voice as far as you can, right? And you're building a really, really big clear picture for the audience. In on-screen acting, you definitely want to bring it all inside, you know, like it's a lot more internal and a lot more subtle. Voice-over acting kind of falls somewhere in the middle. So in terms of, of your vocal delivery, voiceover, you know, commercial and voiceover acting falls somewhere in the middle. So... Vocal delivery has to be really restrained in terms of its projection because you're dealing with a microphone. Um, you're not throwing your voice over there to somebody over there. It's, it's right Join here. the meeting. And sorry, I just had a little join the meeting thing come in my ear. It distracted me. So there's that. But in terms of your physical... Work, when you're doing voiceover, it's closer to stage than it is to screen. If you get really, really restrained in front of a microphone, it will seriously impact the amount of um, emotional content in your voice. So you want to go somewhere like stage stuff in terms of your gestures and your facial expressions while you're behind the camera, uh, sorry, behind the microphone, right? But in terms of your vocal delivery, you want to be as kind of low projection as you can. Um, Obviously, it needs to hit the microphone appropriately. You can't be too quiet. But you need to manage that side of things a lot more tightly with voiceover than you would on camera and definitely on stage. So I hope that answers that question. Okay, let's talk about home setups. What do you need? Well, you need a good microphone to start with. A cheap microphone is just going to be a a waste of money right and i'm not saying you have to buy a sennheiser like a thousand dollar sennheiser or anything like that although if you have the money to spend on a thousand dollar sennheiser they're amazing and they are what are used in a lot of studios professional studios so if you can match studio quality equipment that's excellent it just means that when you're hooking up to a studio through Source Connect or any other type of um, studio to studio connection kind of platform, you'll be producing sound that is the same as what they produce in their studio and that makes their job a lot easier. But I don't have a Sennheiser. I have a Rode NT1A microphone. I can see everyone writing that down, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, so I have a Rode NT1A. I've had that microphone for five years and I've been producing broadcast quality sound through that microphone the whole time. It's excellent, it's really, really good. And I did my first full Source Connect session last week. Um, I'll talk about Source Connect a little bit more in a second, but there are a varying kind of levels of access to Source Connect. So I did my first full Source Connect voiceovers connecting to a studio here in Perth last week and uh, Tim the engineer at MDS said to me that he couldn't tell the difference between what I record in his studio and what I was recording from home patching into him so the NT1A is great it's an excellent microphone but having an excellent microphone doesn't really mean anything if your technique is really really dodgy so it's really important that not only do you have a good microphone you know how to use it all right uh, we'll talk about mic technique later if we get a chance. The Rode NT1A is an XLR mic, all right? You can get XLR mics and you can get USB mics. An XLR mic needs an interface which powers the microphone and translates the signal into something that can be put into your um, laptop or computer via a USB cable. And then that gets fed into your um, called a DAW, Digital Audio Workspace. I think that's what DAW stands for. There's a lot of these around. It's software, basically. There's heaps and heaps of software around. I use Audacity because it's free and I don't do any editing. The most editing I do with my sound files is sometimes to take the breaths out of an audition if I want to tighten things up a little bit. For the most part, I record and deliver raw files. And the engineers in the studios do all of the work with them. But what that means is those raw files have to be Mickey Mouse, you know. There can't be lots of background sound. There can't be fan noise from a computer. can't be birds tweeting in the background, you know. So it has to be really, really good, clean sound. Now, engineers are freaking amazing, right? They're like absolute. They're incredible. They can do all sorts of stuff with sound. But if you want to work, you should make it as easy for them as possible. Does that make sense? I hope so, yes, I'm getting some notes, awesome. So um, Audacity, like I said, great software, free, easy to use, easy to install. If you are going to get into a space where you're doing more editing, if you're doing audiobooks or something like that, you may need a more advanced editing, a piece of editing software. Um, Adobe Audition, there's a bunch of them. My recommendation is that you Google that stuff have a bit of a look around, see what's there, see what you want to spend your money on, you know, work out what your actual requirements are and then find software that matches those requirements, right? The interface that runs between your XLR mic and your laptop, I use a Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 and that's been excellent for me, all right? Um, Focusrite are great, really, really, you know, reputable company, but there's lots and lots and lots of others out there as well. So once again, um, do your research. Google the living daylights out of that stuff. Um, Laptop. You don't need a particularly powerful computer to record on. You need a pretty good one for editing if you're going to be doing bulk editing, right? Just otherwise it takes too long. It's slow. You know, it's the same as, you know, um, computers for anything that's resource-heavy. any kind of software that requires a lot of memory and operating power, um, like the managing audio files, managing like like photography files, image files, all that kind of stuff. Um, Those kinds of processes are CPU heavy and RAM heavy. So if you're setting up a computer to do editing on, make sure it's a good one. But if you're just recording and then sending files on, You don't need a a big, big, powerful, enormous computer. I have a really, really old laptop. We've just stuck an SSD in it, a solid-state drive, and that's made a big difference to how quickly the computer works. Um, But you don't need to go super high-end with your recording device at all. Someone asked me a question about iPads and tablets and that kind of stuff and iPhones and recording on those. I don't know very much about that. Okay, but what I would suggest is that if you want to produce professional outputs, make sure that you're using the right inputs. Okay, and using something like an iPad or a tablet or a phone is probably totally fine for auditions. Right. I record auditions (laughs) earlier this year. No, last year I was in Sydney and I was out in the mountains and I recorded an audition on my phone using this. Right. And I got the gig. Woo-hoo! Which is really nice right, but that's it's just a little bit of a bonus But I was able to produce a An audition recording that was fine, you know I made sure that I was careful with my microphone use and I did a few versions I made sure I did all my warm-ups and all that kind of stuff But from, from an audition perspective, you don't need really really high-end stuff. Okay, however, If you are producing broadcast quality material and that is what you'll be doing if you are working with a studio or something like that, if you're producing broadcast quality material, I would highly recommend making sure that your equipment is up to scratch. Right. It just shuts down opportunities for things to go badly. Yeah. Okay. So um, setting up. At home, the, the quality of your equipment is only as good as the space that you're recording in. So my gear, if I stick it in my kitchen against with hard surfaces everywhere and walls and windows and a big like island bench in the middle, oh my gosh, it sounds hideous, right? Like the noise bounces off all of the hard surfaces, there's reverb everywhere, sounds like crap. It's really bad, right? But my bedroom has soft furnishings everywhere. Great big bed with a doona over it, clothes hanging everywhere. It's actually, I, I use it as a bit of an excuse to keep my room messy because, like, I need it for the, for the sound softening, you know. <laughs> so I've got wardrobes, I've got, I've got, and I've got wardrobes that don't have doors on them either, right? So there's just, like, clothes hanging. Um, we've got carpet in the bedroom, so that helps enormously. And then what I do is I just rig up some stuff behind my microphone and hang blankets, Okay, any hard surfaces are covered with blankets you know, or pillows or cushions or whatever. All you're trying to do is break up the capacity for any of the sound that you're producing, whether it's coming out of your mouth or whatever, to not bounce off hard surfaces. You, know, you can invest in a booth if you want to. There's some really amazing ones out there, but you've got to have the space, right? And if you don't have the money to do that, then blankets are an excellent, excellent option. You know, hang dunas, do whatever you need to do. Just rig up. One of, my, um, one of my coaching clients has set up a portable booth for herself, which is like she's gone and bought plumbing tubing and like rigged up like this kind of like space and she's just hung blankets and dunas and stuff off it. And it's working really, really nicely. She has a lovely dead-sounding space and all she's recording is her voice into the microphone. She's not recording reverb of of her voice bouncing off stuff. So, yes, invest in good quality quality equipment, but make sure your space works as well because that will absolutely undermine anything that you develop around your equipment and anything you develop around your technique, right? So the space has to be appropriate. For a long time, I just backed into a wardrobe, right, full of clothes. And had my mic in front of me and a blanket behind it, you know. So it doesn't have to be complex. You just have to think about it. And one way to check whether or not your sound is any good is record some stuff and send it to an engineer. Send it to a producer. You know, reach out to somebody and say, Hey, I'm setting up my home studio. Can I please send you some files? Will you tell me if they're up to scratch? Yeah? So what that does is show that you've got a degree of professionalism straight off the bat before you even step into the space. And I can tell you right now that people so appreciate professionalism. I think half my career is built on the fact that I really value professionalism, you know? So make sure that that's one of your core core values. Just have to open my questions again. Okay. Hardware software, awesome, we've covered that. Let me know if you've got any more questions about that stuff. Okay, agents, do I need one? This is tough, right, because you absolutely can get work without an agent. But it's harder in many respects and it's harder to get paid as well as you would with an agent because the the agents get the big jobs. And by big, what I mean is jobs that come through advertising agencies, right? And the people who use advertising agencies to promote their business have good budgets and they value a high degree of professionalism and efficiency and that kind of stuff. And what they're looking for when they're trying to find a voice is someone that they can rely on. And, you know, the best place to go for that traditionally is an agency, right? So you can get work without an agent, um, but it requires... lots and lots and lots of effort from you in terms of building relationships and sourcing uh, avenues for work and you know, making sure that those people know who you are and what you're doing. But then once you get the work, having an agent is super, super valuable in terms of negotiating fees and negotiating contracts and managing all of that kind of stuff. I'm really lucky. I've been represented from the very, very beginning of my career. I have not ever had to negotiate rates or make sure contracts work or chase people up for money or any of that kind of stuff. Um, My my agents have done that forever. Actually, MEAA did it for me once, way back early in my career. Um, I was in Sydney, I signed up with a bit of a dodgy agent and I did a job and they didn't pay me. And MEAA saved my butt. yay, MEAA. This is why I have maintained my membership with these guys for such a long time. So having an agent is really, really, really useful and it gives you access to the higher echelon kind of work. You know, the people that don't use the companies that don't use advertising agencies, it's generally because they've got a smaller budget. So you have to be prepared for the fact that um, it's a different environment outside of the agency space. Um, How do I get an agent? Well, what you have to consider is do they have space on the roster for me, right? People aren't going, no agency is going to like clap their hands in glee um, at a voice that sounds like five other voices that they already have on their roster, okay? So if you want to get an agent, find one that represents people in the space that you want to be in and then find a way to show them that they need you on their roster. Now, that might mean being better than everybody else that's on the roster or it might mean providing something different to everybody else that's on the roster, right? So check out all the agencies, have a look at who's on the roster and compare yourself to those people. And then when you're ready to approach them, make sure that your demo shows them that they need you. It has, like I said, it has to either be as good as or better than what they've already got, and, and or it has to show something different that they don't currently have. I could just keep saying that over and over again, but I think that's pretty clear, you know. Um, do we I have need
1: one question? Yeah, go for in regards it. Regards to that.
0: Cool, Sasha. Hello, Sasha. I'll keep going and if if you find her, you can pop her in there. right, awesome. So, do I need credits to get an agent? Um, Not strictly speaking. Um, I know of people who have come straight out of like BOPPA or acting school and gotten an agent straight off the bat, right? But it's super, it's actually pretty rare, right? Um, most people come out of acting school or come out of some form of training and then spend a significant amount of time developing their skill set and building up evidence to support the fact that they can do the job, right? Um, Especially now with lots and lots and lots of people wanting to get into the space, um, agents are being hit every day with lots and lots and lots of people. And a lot of those people are coming in like, oh, I've got a good voice. I sound like this. Everyone has been telling me forever that I should do voiceover." you know? Um, But agents hear that every day from many, 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 many people. Um, It's much, much better if you can show them what that you've got what they need, all right? And that generally means some examples of work. Now, it doesn't have to be paid work. It doesn't have to be that you went out and and sourced these jobs, right? It can just be examples. If you can produce some reads that uh, show your capacity that show what you sound like and your level of connection with copy and that you've got a engaging inviting quality to your voice then and you're you're offering something different to what they've already got on their roster they'll absolutely consider you but if all you're doing is spamming agents with emails saying hey hey what about me no one's going to talk to you about that stuff you know but if you ring an agency and you can get through to them and you can talk to them they'll assess your voice on the phone straight away and they'll know pretty quickly whether or not you've got the right kind of qualities to your sound Um, and the alternative is you know go and record some stuff so that you can you know let them know this is what I sound like yeah have we found Sasha or is that the right name
1: um, yeah, but it seems like it's not working, but we have Go plenty on. of other questions in regards yeah. to what you are just talking about.
0: All right. Hit me how with them.
1: Connect them.
0: Where will I see them? Oh, hello. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. I've, I've got a question. I'm seeing a lot of agencies uh, sharing photos at the moment of... Talent that uh, Mm. suddenly finding themselves working remotely and all Mm. those
1: inventive setups that
0: that that you've you've shared Um, is now a good time if you're not represented by an agent to send you know a a demo and your CV um, and just listing you know your equipment and that yeah for sure don't see why not you know like the 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 environment has shifted hugely in the last two months you know and. My agent sent out an email two weeks ago saying uh, you're going to have to work from home, so you have to get yourself set up. And I need a. They basically two weeks ago put out a list of these are these are our talent who have a home setup, and these nice. are our talent who have a home setup and Source Connect. Right. Okay. So having a home setup means that you can record remotely, right? Yeah. But you're in a position where you're recording remotely and sending files. Okay. Yeah. If you have Source Connect, then you can hook up to a studio. So having those things makes you valuable right now. Absolutely, 100%. Did that answer that question? Thanks. Yeah, no worries, Max. Excellent. All right. Any more? Thank you,
1: Deanna. Oh, there's heaps, but we'll continue with your... All right,
0: cool, cool, cool. Okay. So um, freelance work. I only want to touch on this very, very briefly, right, because... Freelance work suggests that possibly you're just going to go out there and do whatever comes along, right? But as an equity member and as an industry member, um, it's really important that if you're going to do freelance work, you try to stay as close to the um, MEAA guidelines and, and suggested rates as possible, okay? So going out and sourcing freelance work is an excellent idea. There is so much freelance work out there, it's not funny. Um, if you have an agent you can still go out and source freelance work but I would recommend using your agent to, ne- to negotiate the bits and pieces of that and then paying them the percentage that you know you should so that they can do their job right um, the I'll talk about rates in a in a minute um, and rate guides and that kind of stuff but absolutely Um, freelance work is a a great thing to do, especially from home, right? Um, Lots and lots of uh, people that are looking for freelance voiceover artists want you to be able to record from home because they don't have a studio set up or they don't have access to that kind of thing. So those things are available to you and you access freelance work by looking um, on, there's all sorts of websites around, you can look on, there's places like... You know, there's those pay-to-play sites, there's Star Now, there's like all sorts of different ways that you can access freelance work, but you have to be prepared for the fact that most of it is woefully underpaid. And as an, as an actor in the industry, I, I just would consider that possibly that kind of stuff is, a, is appropriate for practice and that's about it, all right? So if you're going to pursue freelance work, look for freelance work that pays appropriately. I hope that's clear. everyone Um, how do you get freelance work you build networks it's exactly the same as being a creative in any other space you have to build relationships build your networks build your relationships and if you do build those relationships well people will pay you appropriately because you will have built a space where they know and trust and like you right and they see your value Um, how do I get clients and grow my business? Same way, same way. You just, it takes time. You know, it's not a quick like stick up a website and suddenly you'll be inundated with freelance work. It doesn't go that way. But I do recommend you have a website right? if you want to if you want to put your best foot forward. It's a really good idea to just have a single page website that's got a bit of information about you, a photo, your demos, any kind of reels that you put together, that kind of stuff. Anything that provides an online presence that shows that you are capable and professional is really, really useful and it helps you get paid appropriately. Um, and same deal with getting known that way, you know. Um, use social media. Like promote yourself. I know it's hard and a bit like feels a bit icky to start with to, to say, oh, hire me for this work especially because most of us are used to having agents or whatever supporting us in that space. Um, but you just gotta, you just got to start putting yourself out there. If you believe that this is a thing that you can do and that you can provide value and really high levels of service to people, then it shouldn't be too much of an issue for you to say to people, this is what I do and if you need me, here's my website, go and have a look, have a listen to my demos. If there's anything I can do for you at any point, let's get in touch. And then you just keep touching base with people. I know voiceover artists who have like built relationships over two or three years before even getting any work out of anyone. Um, So it's a long game, particularly the freelance space. Okay, Um, studio work. How do I break into studio work? You have to consider that studios, whilst they don't generally have their own specific roster per se, they, they are definitely responsible for a huge amount of the casting that goes on so advertising agencies often go direct to a studio and then say to them here's the script here's the brief who have you got that fits this okay and they will go to the people they know who can do the job every single time right um it's like you know you, if you if you get getting your hair cut you go to the same hairdresser because you know they did a good job last time right? And if you decide you want a slightly different haircut, you'll probably check out the hairdresser that you've been using for 10 years just to make sure that they can do the job before you go and try out someone completely new who you don't know from a bar of soap, right? Is everyone clear on that kind of process, right? That's just how the world works. So studios will use the people that they already know, that they know they can trust, who are reliable and, you know, that have capacity to do whatever it is that the studio wants them to do. Just like building relationships with anyone else, you can build relationships with studios, right? But you have to show them that you can do the job, right? And that doesn't mean like inundating them with like constant requests to be given an opportunity. It's more about making sure that when you do a new demo, you send it out to people and you make sure that they're across what it is that you can do, right? Um, having an agent is definitely a better way to connect with studios because like I said before, Big brands have lots of money to spend on their budget. They go to good studios. Those studios go to the agents that they know can provide them with the people that they need. All right? So having an agent is definitely an excellent way to access studio work. If you don't have an agent and you're trying to access studio work, once again, you have to show them that you are as good as or better than what they already have or different to what they already have. Okay, cool. Um, Resources, there's like a couple of people ask questions about, you know, how do I access um, coaching resources how do i get mentorship around building a demo and that kind of stuff well there's lots there's not lots there's lots of coaches and stuff in the us and the uk and you can definitely use those people there's less in australia but there are some of us there's a few of us around the traps so my recommendation is if you're looking for coaching or support you connect with the people that you know do that kind of thing and have a chat with them and find out if they're the right person for you. Um, It's a really good idea to make sure that they are working in the industry that you want to be in or the part of the voiceover industry that you want to be in. But there's no point coming to me for audiobooks, right, because I don't produce audiobooks. I'm great at teaching commercial voiceover, but I am not great at teaching animation voiceover, right? But there's lots of the people around who are amazing at that kind of stuff. So it's really important that if you're looking for coaching or training resources, you investigate the options that are there and make sure that the person that you are talking to is doing the thing that you know how to do or is involved in doing the thing that you want to know how to do and that you've got a good connection with them. And that they are reputable and have some history in the space, you know. In terms of resources from MEAA, the best thing that you can do with MEAA is um, make sure that you access the rate card, okay, because um, that's available on the website. It's got all of the information that you need around being a commercial voiceover artist. Uh, There are other rate cards around. There's one called the GVAA, G for Gary, V for Victor, A for Apple, A for Apple. And that's a really, really good rate card to use internationally um, and for stuff outside of commercial voiceover. So just have a look at those and have a play. Use them to work out whether or not the rates that someone's offering you are appropriate, you know. And if you're going to accept something that isn't exactly industry standard rates, you have to understand why you're doing that, like why you've negotiated that shift in rates and am I undercutting? other people to do this, you know? So the rate cards are really, really useful to so that you know where you're sitting, right? And the last thing that we wanna be doing is undermining the work that other people are doing in the industry to set those standard rates and that kind of stuff. So just like, just like screen acting and stage acting, support, support the, the industry by making sure that you are engaging with rates in a responsible way. Okay, good um I felt a bit like mm, 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 then <laughs> okay um let me have a look range of work available oh my god it's huge holy cow and it's only getting bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes by as well right like there's commercial work but there's also audiobooks and there's voice acting in animations and games there's on hold messaging there's corporate videos, there's online training and e-learning, there's just so many avenues that you can pursue with your voice. And all you have to do is consider how much media you consume on a day-to-day basis or that you're even exposed to that has a component of voice in it and you're like, oh, wow, there's heaps, like truly. There's so, so, so much out there. And age is definitely not an impediment because, especially because these days what companies are looking for businesses and advertisers and and um, you know corporations and they're looking for voices that people can relate to so that means that they need voices across the entire spectrum of humanness right so age is not an impediment from that perspective But also it's not an impediment because you don't sound like you look necessarily. You could be 40 and do a really, really good seven-year-old, you know. Maybe you're 27 but you actually sound like you could be in your like early 40s because you've got like a, a real maturity level to the way that you speak. The age you are isn't reflected in the way you sound. It's much more important to consider like, what age do I sound? You know, I'm 45 years old and I tend to sound much younger than that. But I can shift things so that I sound more mature. I can drop my pitch and I can shift my articulation and I can do a bunch of different things with my voice that change the way I sound. I can also sound like a seven-year-old little boy, right? So, <laughs> so you know, how old you are, what you look like, um, doesn't come into it at all. However, your personality and the type of person you are definitely comes into it, okay? And this is a really important thing to note. I can't read news and current affairs stuff. I have way too much expression in my voice. And if I try to take that expression out, I sound like a monotone robot. It's really awful. There's a real lack of connectivity and it just sounds hideous, right? Um, So I don't do that work because it it just isn't the kind of thing that I can do. If I spent a lot of time and effort trying to develop that, I might get okay at it, but I'm not super interested in just being okay. You know, I'd rather pursue the areas that I excel in, you know. So consider your personality, consider the kind of stuff that um, suits you as a person, and that's where you should start, right? And down the track, if you want to, expand. Yeah. Um... Okay, what time is it? Oh, we have got 12 minutes. What have I got left here? Okay, so we could, um, oh, can you explain what, let me just have a look at this question. Can I see it? Here we go. Okay, can you explain what interface is? Yes, an interface is a piece of hardware, okay? It's um, a little box that you plug your microphone into and it has another cord coming out of it that's a USB that you plug into your computer, laptop, desktop, computer, whatever it is that you're using, right? Um, It provides phantom power to your microphone, your XLR microphone, um, and it converts the signal from the microphone into something that your um, computer can read, your software on your computer that you're using to process the sound. So I I use Audacity, but there's lots and lots of other ones out there as well. Um, Let me have a look. What was the name of that interface? Yeah, Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 is exactly what that interface was. And that's the interface that I use. Yeah. All right. Um, Okay. So we could talk about demos. We could talk about vocal health. Or we could talk about... Um, fees and pay to play sites and stuff Um, does anyone have a preference Alex is this something that we want to throw out to the group in the last 10 minutes
1: I'd say in the last 10 minutes it'd be nice to put up a few questions
0: yeah great cool 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 hit me with the questions all right so have I heard of voice one two three yes absolutely I've heard of voice one two three there are a bunch of pay to play sites out there some of them are dodgy as all get out, some of them are excellent and much harder to get on the roster. The ones that you have to pay to be on the roster, as a general rule, are not the best ones out there, all Um, They're basically a database of voice talent that people can access and offer work to. And you can audition like a crazy mofo on there. So they're really, really good if what you want to do is practice, right? So joining one that you don't have to pay for and getting access to scripts and copy and auditioning, 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 auditioning is a really, really good way to practice in what's sort of like a real-life situation, you know. Um, But I wouldn't consider um, those things to necessarily be... um, they Some of them comply with union kind of rights and stuff and some of them really undercut the union space. So you have to just be, like, use your discretion in how you engage with those sites. Um, okay. Uh, is it, is, are they, are they any good for Australia? Um, I find that hard to answer because I don't have a lot of personal experience with them. Um, my understanding is that they're, They're really heavily driven in the US and UK space. Um, But you can be an Australian voice internationally. There's there's work for Australians internationally. So these kinds of websites are potentially a great way to access um, international work. All right, Um, could you please talk a little bit about creating top-notch demo? Yes, absolutely. Okay, Um, a few things, right? Get it produced professionally. It, it needs to sound like advertising sounds like, okay? If it just sounds like you in your bedroom recording some stuff, um, the people who are listening to it can't picture that inside their, the work that they're trying to produce. You know, just like with headshots, you want um, the person that you're presenting this marketing material to to be able to hear you in their stuff, all right? So produce, having it produced professionally, super, super important. Second thing is, make sure the copy is appropriate, okay? It's got to be interesting, it's got to be engaging, it's got to suit you, all right? If it's boring, meh copy that, that isn't engaging, it won't sell anything anyway, and a demo needs to sell you, but it also needs to sell the thing that you're pitching in whatever those spots are. Um, other things about a top-notch demo, just make sure that you're operating at a standard that is appropriate for the market, Right. Um, it's not a top-notch demo if you, if you sound subpar, right? So it's really important that you are at the level that you need to be before you produce a demo. This is, it's a waste of time and money producing a demo when you're not ready. Um, um, tips for a good demo, yep, okay, kind of covered that a little bit there. So make sure your scripts are good and appropriate, um, no longer than two minutes. Roughly, right? Sometimes people get cast just off the slate at the start. Now, I don't have a slate at the start of my demo, but lots and lots of people these days are putting a, hi, I'm Deanna, I'm a voiceover artist from Perth, and this is my voiceover demo, at the beginning of their demo. And lots of times these days, people get cast off that. And all that does is show you that actually what people are looking for is conversational, natural reads that have personality and warmth and connection in them, okay? so. The other thing about a demo is it absolutely needs to represent the part of the industry that you want to get into, okay? So it's very, very wise to have a commercial demo as your base level demo, okay? And lots of other stuff gets cast off a commercial demo, but that commercial demo needs to represent you in the space that you want to work in. So if you want to do retail because high energy stuff is totally your bag, then that's what should be on your demo, Right? If you want to do soft sell branding stuff, that's what should be on your demo, Right? Um, keep it short and sharp, you know. No one wants to listen to a minute-long ad, right? Little 15 to 25-second blocks of different stuff. And if you've only got two things to put on your demo, that's fine. That's better than filling two minutes with crap, right? Two really, really good pieces that, with a slate that goes for like 45 seconds or a minute is totally fine. Absolutely. You've just got to make sure you're putting your best voice forward at the time. Um, Okay, what are your top recommendations for good vocal health? Warm up all the time and drink a bucket load of water all the time, right? You need to be hydrated. So I don't know if you guys know much about your vocal folds, but they move against each other, right? Um, You know when you first wake up in the morning, and like like the phone wakes you up or something and you're all like cranky oh, okay, like this, nah. You sound like an absolute bag of marbles is bouncing around in your throat. That's because your vocal cords haven't moved like all night. They've just been kind of sitting in your throat like this. Okay. The best way to warm up your vocal cords is to make long sustained sounds. Ah ah ah. Cruise around the house, making those kinds of noise noises right for at least half an hour prior to doing a voiceover job right Um, that will warm up your vocal cords will get lots of blood flow in there it will mean that um, that space is ready to work and you won't have to force sound out as soon as you try to make your vocal cords work hard without easing them gently into that hard work they just bash against each other and you cause damage Right? You might not feel it immediately, but over time that will have a really negative impact on your voice. So if you want to maintain vocal health, that's how you do it. Warm up, drink lots of water and don't clear your throat. Like, <clears> throat> it's terrible for your vocal cords. All right? If you've got gunk in there, which you know we all get, right? it's part of your structure, that there's um, phlegm and mucus and stuff in there. The best way to clear it is those long sustained sounds. Make your vocal cords flutter against each other, not bash against each other. Flutter, 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 not bash, 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 right? Okay, good. Um, What's the maximum time you should spend recording? I don't know if there is a maximum time to spend recording. Um, I don't like to record for any longer than about an hour without a break. And it's not very often that you will record for longer than an hour without a break, because even if you're patching into a studio from home, they'll be chatting amongst themselves and making decisions about copy and you'll do a read and then you'll have a little bit of a break and you might have a bit of a chat and then you'll do another read. Um, But an hour's worth of, anything more than an hour's worth of work and you will start losing focus and concentration. And voiceover work is energy intensive, like seriously. You think it's your voice that's going to run down, but it's actually your energy and your mental capacity that runs down. So take breaks whenever you can and physically shake off what you've been doing. You know, like I I use physical shakes to get energy out of my body. I'll move my body heaps. I'll shake my hands. I'll go. (gasps) I'll do all sorts of different things to loosen the kind of grip that the energy I've been using has on me. You know, each read is quite energy intensive, okay, and you need to shake that off. So, c- lots of rests, regular rests, is a good idea. Um, okay, tips on staying relaxed in front of clients. Well, if you're prepared, you'll be relaxed, okay. If you are um, like, the less prepared you are, the more nervous you'll feel, okay. That's why it's really important that you're ready before you step into engaging in this space. You know, um, confidence in yourself is super vital, okay, because it breeds confidence in your clients and the studios and all of the other stakeholders that are involved in the process. If you're nervous, they'll be extra nervous. They're trusting you to, to know what you're doing in this space. Very, very often it's my level of comfort that makes everybody else chill out. Because nobody knows how this is going to go. <laughs> like no one knows how this is going to go. They've written the copy. They're in the booth. No one knows what it's going to sound like until it comes out of your mouth. And if it comes out of your mouth sounding unsure and I'm nervous, and eh, that's not a great, great way to start the process, right? So be physically warm. Do a physical warm-up before you get into the recording space. Make sure you've got good blood flow and you're in your body and you feel really comfortable. Make sure you've got comfy clothes on that you can work in and be vocally very, very warm and ready so that you're not stumbling over things on that first line. There's plenty of things that you can't control. You don't get copy early. You don't know what direction they're going to give you. You don't know, like tech, like there might be some tech issues that come up, okay? And you have to manage those on the fly. But if you're also managing your mental state and your physical state and all those other things at the same time, it can get really, really difficult. So manage the things that you can. Be warm. Be ready. Diana. Yes. What about just one last question because we're almost at the end. Okay. Thanks. So um, if you... Uh, da, 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 da. If you're a singer, do you suggest adding a snippet of a song to your demo? Nah, probably not, only because people who are casting for voiceovers aren't looking for singers. They want to know that you can talk well, not sing well. Um, For first-time demo recorders, can we record from our own homes provided we have the right equipment? It's it's just really difficult and sketchy and... um, It's not about can I make myself sound okay. It's about the end product and does it fit well with the other products that you're trying to compete with. That's really the answer to that. Um, um, Can I do one more question? Sure. Okay. So would you recommend or not recommend character voices on a first demo mixed in there with commercial? I would keep things as simple as possible for your first demo, okay, and I wouldn't put character voices in there. Okay, commercial demos are about connecting with an audience, okay, and selling something. And you can only sell something, you can only sell things by influencing people. And you can only influence people by connecting with them. Character voices are not about connecting, okay. They're about excitement and entertainment and fun and and that kind of thing. If you're looking for commercial advertising work, you have to show that you can connect to a particular listener, not that you can do funny voices or that you, you know, sound like this and that, right? It needs to be natural and authentic and connected. I hope that answers that question.
1: I was just going to double-check, uh, Diana, that um, if people knew which producers or what producers or did you already answer
0: that? Mm. If you're going to no, be- I didn't because... Yeah. It depends on where you come from and what what you have available to you, right? There are so, so many, like there's a bunch of production houses around. There's some really big ones and there's a bucket load of smaller ones as well. Um, But if you're looking for someone to produce your demo, I would specifically look for a producer that produces demos. You know, um, I don't want to make any recommendations at this stage because I don't feel like I have the right information to say that and I'll only talk to you about the ones that I know and there's many, many that I don't know. I work in WA primarily, so I'm not even super across the stuff that's in the eastern states. But if you Google voiceover demo producers, you'll find them. Or what you can do is just build a list of all of the sound production places in your area could be in your country, wherever, um, and call them. Have chats with them. Ask them. Do you produce demos? Can you show me some examples of your work? And make sure they produce the kinds of demos that you want to do, you know?
1: Well, Diana, you have packed so much into this.: oh, I tried.: <laughs> You need to go and um, have a glass of water and just practice those voice exercises. Yeah.: <laughs> Thank you so much. That was a wonderful. Hour. Good.
0: Good, good, good.
1: We are fortunate because Diana has agreed to let us use that as a podcast, so that will be on our Equity Foundation website. So I want to thank you, Diana, because uh, uh, we really appreciate it. That was a very important.:
0: topic. Yeah, look my pleasure. If anyone has any questions, please don't hesitate to get in touch, reach out. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Instagram. I've got a website, all that kind of stuff. So feel free to reach out. Thank you again, Diana. Yeah, my pleasure.
1: Thank, you.
0: Thank,
1: thank you.
0: you. thank you. Thank you. whole you. Thank now I can hear you. all. you. Thank you. Thank i Thank you. so you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank thank thank
1: you. you. Right, so nice. <laughs> much, you.
0: Thank you. Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the Foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.